This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking With Authors, the podcast. I am your host, Erica Lance, and as you can see, I'm in an Airbnb in Tennessee right now. So it's super exciting. You get to see other people's decorations. My co-host today is C.R. Rice. And our amazing guest is Marie Wishart. Woo! Woo! <laughs> so we're drinking for a minute because I have some drinking with author swag. And you know what I've decided? If somebody leaves me a review and tags us in it, I will, I, you know, you can have some swag. Okay. Um, I am drinking from our sponsor, Skunk brother spirits the last of my blueberry cinnamon cordial as you can see like i'm almost out of it and it makes me very very sad and i'm going to have to get more but if you order through them skunk brother spirits and you put in dwa 10 you get a 10 percent off coupon code so i am kind of amazed and in love with this plus this airbnb has crushed ice i feel super fancy so that is what's happening. Okay, CR, what are you drinking? I am still on the green tea and vodka kick. I'm telling you, you got called out in by Adam. <laughs> so healthy. He did a total call out for you on that. I love that. <laughs> but I'm starting a fat, so it's a bit. It's fine. No, that's I, mean, I need to hear more about this. I would never have put those two together. It is. It was. It, it was an accident. I didn't have anything to mix it with, and there was <laughs> there was green tea. So, and but like everybody does the, the everybody does the New Year thing, and like green tea is healthy for you, and like so, and they they're saying you know vodka keeps away you know COVID and stuff. So like I'm all about being healthy right now. And then the the person we were speaking with says it sounded like something in Beverly Hills or something. That all the, the women in Beverly yeah. Hills were going to be drinking. So then the whole show, he kept saying, how is going to be a Beverly Hills girl? Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, anything that sounds like it's on a health kick, you're good. Yeah. No. Mix it with alcohol. It's antioxidants <laughs> and vodka. Yep. Being healthy. Clear liquors are always better for you. Oh, my God. Um, hello. Unless they're from our sponsor. Very true. Yes. <laughs> okay. You need to find a reason why brown liquors are healthy now. I the don't the they go amazing <laughs> with any type of like Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper. Like it works great for them. Or crushed ice like I got. I'm so, this yeah. thing, I'm telling you guys, this, you, you'll drink this entire bottle in one sitting. I only have. Well, I just like the fact that you went to pour it in and you saw how much was left, and you're like, ah, fuck it, and <laughs> just kept pouring. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Maria, what are you drinking? I am drinking Papago Orange Blossom beer by a brewery in Tempe, Arizona. That's I. <laughs> so what is the brewery? Let's call out the brewery. So yeah, what's the brewery? Okay, hold up. Uniquely yeah. Arizona. Papago Orange Blossom. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, Hus. Hus Brewery in okay. Tempe. Yes. Hus, I believe, H U S S. So, um, super random story, but yeah, Hus, H U S S. 
Okay. Random story. Yeah. For it. That's what this podcast thrives on. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. So I am in a hotel. I love that you're in an Airbnb. I've been traveling constantly lately. So this is, this is my hotel room and I, my Instagram is definitely going to have a post of the actual setup. Cause I have like a lantern on either side of me right now. So they can have like a little light show. Um, and these, these are not my pictures, but you know, it, it works. And, um, so my mom was living in Arizona and she did pass away uh, back in November. And on, thank you. It's, it's been a whirlwind of, of crazy. And that's where all the traveling comes in. But the day that she passed, my sister and I went out to lunch and I had this beer and I was like, this, this became all of a sudden, like my drink, whenever I'm in Arizona, this is what I'm drinking. It, it's like, it's a season of my life right now that is completely represented by this beer. And I live in San Diego and I can't find it there. So now that I'm here this weekend, I, I have stopped up. No, it makes there sense. San Diego, pay attention. I'm telling you. Slackers. You know what though? I will, I will tell you, if you go into Total Wine, I think it is, or any of the major chains and request stuff, they will go out to the breweries or um, distilleries and get it. And sometimes if the, the brewery is super awesome, they'll actually ship it to you. That's true. Like if you contact them, they'll actually ship it to you. So for their spirits in your local liquor store, tell them to stock it. And then I have to try this. You won me. Everything that you described there was at blueberry and cinnamon. So I was talking, I was talking to um, Scott, who's one of the brothers and, you know, I interacted with to sponsor the show. We love them, but I was talking to him about how amazing this was. Cause when I first saw blueberry cinnamon, I was like, Oh, that could be either great or that's a terrible idea. Like it's one yeah. of the two. And he was, <laughs> this is how he said it. Scott, I'm calling you out. Cause you said it like this. He's like, I'm a fat dude and I want very good tasting drinks. So his entire motto on making drinks there is to make drinks that he loves to drink. So I feel like that should be everybody's motto. I know, but yeah. that's not always the case. Oh, Chelsea, you know, <laughs> as well as I do, we've had some stuff that we're like, what the hell were they thinking? <laughs> yeah. On this particular case, I don't have what the hell were they thinking. And I've, not only are they a sponsor, I'm a drinker. No, it's, it's actually really good. I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. When they first sent me stuff and I was like, this, you know, okay, they're going to sponsor. And I got these boxes of stuff. I was looking at it. I will tell you the lightning for me has to be mixed with something. Cause that still is a, there's a, when you guys see the YouTube episode, you'll understand. the. It was fantastic. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> it was terrible. Not tasting, but just like my entire body felt the lightning go through it. It was one of the, <laughs> Okay. Okay. Marie, we're actually supposed to be talking about books. When did you, first for the audience that may not know you, we get very easily distracted by shiny objects. People <laughs> ask me all the time if there's a script and I'm like, no, because there's no way in hell I would stick to a script if I was given a script. So no. Yeah. Not to mention, as you drink, like things get blurry sometimes. Heck very, yeah. blurry, very blurry. Good point. <laughs> Okay, so Marie, okay. For the audience who doesn't know you, um, who talk about what you write? Talk about okay. Yourself. Yeah. 
So I have written uh, what is essentially a memoir trilogy. The first book is called Ignite, and that book published last March. Um, that is kind of the backstory of the character. Her name is Ruby. And um, in that book, she is evaluating sort of her origins, like where she came, you know, after high school, what she did with her life and how she ends up at a point where she is, you know, just sort of in motherhood, having a family, having a business, and just sort of looking around at it all and going, I did everything in my life that I didn't really want to do. And then all of a sudden, just having this kind of trigger moment where she meets someone falls in love. And it's this person that represents the dreams, the life that she wished that she would have led, but she just sort of abandoned in order to have a child and raise a family and, and be the good Midwestern woman that should have a family. Um, so that is book one that is Ignite. And it's kind of this convoluted love story slash the coming of age. I mean, it's, it's just one of those midlife crisis books. Um, so I, I have decided that at this point, when, when women reach midlife crisis, they write books and men buy cars. I, it, it I, I'm going to guess which one is more productive. That would be us. Anyway, mm-hmm. could you <laughs> yeah, I kind yeah. of do both though. Like I buy the cars. <laughs> You're not at midlife. You shut it. CR. Nobody, none, nobody who's on at midlife time on this podcast wants to hear you talk about your really cool Jeep and your really mm-hmm. awesome books. This isn't about you. Okay. <laughs> Rain it in. She's telling us about her other two books now. And you know, my character Ruby especially is very pragmatic. She would never ever spend money, you know, or do something that could potentially cause financial ruin. Like that is never that's not an option. So she's not had that kind of thought process ever. So even writing a book was like a crazy thing for her. Um, but Ignite gets us to the point where she just sort of recognizes hey, like, what the hell have I done with my life? Like, this is not what I wanted when I was young. And and why have I done this? And what what's the worst that could happen if I tried to undo it? That's kind of where she ends up after, you know, that book. And book two is right now it's out for copy editing. So I have finished all of the, the hard, hard stuff. And I'm excited to see what, what comes of it. Um, but that one then becomes the memoir that she writes at the point where she sits and, and recognizes that, hey, I, I messed up everything that I wanted to do, I didn't do. How do I fix this? And she decides I'm going to fix it by writing a memoir. Like I'm going to change my marriage. I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to move out of my hometown, but it's terrifying as fuck. And I'm going to write a book because I can't talk to anyone about it and see what happens. Like try to write my success story. So that's, that's book two. Um, and that is it's kind of a brave exploration of, of boundary pushing things, but I'm excited for that one. You, I, you can see the excitement on you. That is awesome. <laughs> what made you decide to start writing? Are you, did you have a midlife crisis and you were like, I need to write a book? Hell yeah. Everyone was like, cause I was 30. Four, I think when I started okay, writing it's life like I know you? everyone told me that when are <laughs> you dying are you planning on dying at 60 like did you do you have this mapped out because 34 is not mid 
at all. Everyone kept telling me like, you can't, it's not a midlife crisis. So I'm like, well, then we'll redefine it as this existential crisis. Because <laughs> like, if you go look at the checklist of like, are you having these symptoms? They were all there, right? Like, um, but I, I actually am a dentist. So, you know, my character is a dentist. And a lot of this story is, is very much a parallel of my life. But it goes out as fiction because I decided to go a little crazy, right? Like I didn't want to just write this little simple happy story. I wanted to write some shit. Can I swear on this podcast? You can. It's <laughs> we yeah. have sworn countless times already. Of course yes. you can. I was gonna say we are drinking on a podcast. It has an explicit warning on it. <laughs> perfect. 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 So, um, you know, I at the time when I decided to write this. I hate to say this, but 50 shades of gray was this big thing with my staff. Like the women were loving it and they were like, Oh, you got to read this book. And I was like, "Eh, okay. Um, So when I was writing one of the other weird, crazy things that I wanted to explore with sex, like I wanted to to go out there and like kind of be a normal person with a normal life and, and a married woman with kids. Like I wanted that woman to have sexual experiences. And so that women that were my age, like that, you know, I wanted them to be able to identify with that and have a character that they could look to and be like, that person is also getting to have some fun. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think I, I think that's great. So you're a dentist, but did you write before you were a dentist? I wrote all the time as a child. Like when I was in school, I think when I was a third grader, I had like my poem that I wrote was on a door of my class the whole year and I you know wrote in college but I did I am very much like my character insofar as the fact that I I was told I needed to be a productive I needed to make money I needed to have a solid job and um I just nobody in my family was like writing as a career that that was just a fantasy so I just held it in my fantasy world um well, it apparently exploded out and not at midlife. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Not at midlife. Um, you know, it, it had to happen. That's when you know what you are, right? When I, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything besides write. Like it was, it possessed me. Well, th- I think that's awesome. So you've set this up as a trilogy. Was it a trilogy when you envisioned it? When I envisioned it, it was just the memoir, which is actually book two. Um, so I wrote that. And then when I was getting to near the end of it, I was like, no one's going to stick with this character through all of this crazy, insane shit she's dealing with without understanding how she got there. So then I went back and wrote the backstory, which became Ignite. Um, and in the editing, it was just these two pieces all together as one. But as I was adding it, it was like 180,000 words. It was this like brutal thing that I could not wrap my brain around. And finally, when I got to what is the ending chapter of Ignite, I was like, I have to end this here. I have to stop now. And I'll, I'll just break this into two like that. That's going to happen. So that's how it became two. But then, Oh God, this is such a long story. I, I self published your podcast. Not get, we're good. We have drinks. You we go. Have no plans. <laughs> So I ended up, I self-published book one so that I could like mentally shut that brain side off and start working on book two. And book one had this like cute little following. Like I I released it as this book called Cherry Blossom Season. And I had people 
pick it up, read it and reach out to me and say like, how did you know what I was thinking? How did you know what I was going through? And I was like, oh, oh, there's something going on here. Like this is actually a good universal message. And so after that went out and that happened, I picked up a lady that was trying to help me like get it out into the world in a more not independent artist fashion. Um, So we sat down and reworked everything. And in that process, I wrote like another ending or basically uh, this is actually what happens after the ending of the memoir, which is now going to be book three, which basically then kind of goes through the whole editorial process, goes through the this is what I learned from writing a memoir. This is actually how you reflect on those really like when you edit your own work, man, you look at yourself and you're like, Oh, like flawed, flawed, flawed. Like all of your flaws just stare you in the face and you're just like getting kicked constantly in the ribs. You're like, Oh, so book three is her going back and looking at herself and saying, Holy shit. What did I just write? What did I just do? maybe I'm the problem like really having those moments oh I I think that's that's really so have you started writing book three book three is a skeletal piece right now it's probably only like 25 to 30 thousand words um that's I can't wait to start writing that one (laughs) so how long did it take you to write book one then so the actual bones of this work was all written in six months It was, I was writing nonstop. I was traveling. I would write on planes. I would stay in Airbnbs. I was going to conferences. I was going to dental conferences and like taking all of this CE. But then when I wasn't in in the conference, I would stay up all night and write. I would go to, I take myself out for dinner and I'd be writing at a bar with my laptop. I I was the most antisocial person ever, but there was something inside me and all I I wanted to do was get it out. I I couldn't rest until it was out. Um, so it was, that's great. Those are always the best writing moments where it like, you you don't have to think about it. You don't have to try to figure it out. It just like flows out and you don't, and then you feel better afterwards. Yeah. And so that was, you know, six months of just getting that. Now it's been about five and a half years of rewriting, taking it and like really giving it all of the context, setting the stage, the dialogue from where it started to where it is now dialogue is what I'm rewriting and all of this and just really giving my characters life and individuality and like setting up more you know interplay because even though it's memoir I want people to to love the supporting cast like they're so important no totally so okay when you sat down you're like I'm having a midlife crisis no it's not midlife um (laughs) crisis and I'm still stuck on that since I feel like I'm the only midlife person on this call. But um, so you started that. And then did you join any writing groups? What did you do where you were like, I'm just the best writer in the world. I write dental pieces. I know what I'm doing. Okay. So that first six month period was literally me writing alone for the longest time. I actually, of all dumb things, I met a guy on a plane and I was writing, writing, and he's like, what are you writing? And I, so I started telling him some of my story and I showed him a couple of like blips of it and we kept in touch. And I just had 
read something that said, you know, if you're writing a book and you don't know what you're doing and you don't have outside opinions, like you need to stop getting outside opinion before you just waste all of your time. So I messaged this guy and I'm like, I don't know you, you don't know me. I'm writing a book. You know that I'm like, can I just write the book to you? And if you want to keep reading, tell me, yeah, yeah. Like this is flowing. I get it. I, I would keep reading. So everything initially went out that way. So this, this poor guy was subjected to all of that. And so, he would give me like little. <laughs> he's not a writer, just a random plain dude. Yeah. <laughs> How do you not write that story? But continue. Why is, is that in the book somewhere? That scene where I meet this guy is in the book. Okay, good. good. Okay, we're utilizing yeah. all we got. Okay. He was a very, he was just like one of those luminaries, right? Like a person that you meet that just gives you these little tidbits of information where the wisdom that is being passed on in that moment is so profound that you're like, how am I living real life? It was just, I, I was so moved by everything he had to tell me. Um, so, and I, I see him on Facebook now. We like randomly keep in touch, but he just got me through an important moment. After um, I kind of wrapped everything writing, I enlisted a, like a paid editor who was local that a friend of mine had just said, Hey, I, I, I was having a conversation with a random friend of mine. That's a triathlete. We, I was like going on a group ride and we were just chatting and he's like, what did you do with your summer? And I said, I wrote a book. And I was like, what did you do with your summer? And he's like, I did the same, which was so weird. So we both talked about writing and then he's like, Hey, I have a, a friend who's editing. If you want some help. So I just messaged this guy and I said, Hey, I've got a book. Um, I hear you're in editing. Can we talk? And he's like, yeah, just send me some pages. And if I think it's something I want to work with, I'll let you know. And so I sent him some stuff and of course I'm freaking out. Cause I'm like, I'm a dentist. I write freaking clinical shit and then annoying, like dumb stuff. And it's girl work. And this is a guy. And he called me back and he's like, thank you. I have never read something so just like fresh and out there and and like alive he's like this is work that I would be so excited to work with um wow. so he was my second that's awesome um, it was it that was so cool I I loved that man he and I worked so hard together he would we'd go chapter by chapter and he would send you know just like comments on things that I had written like do you really feel that way and why why is this happening and, and not just like editing for the sake of making it good for a reader, but editing for the sake of like, what did you write? And why did you write that? And why did you as a person feel the need to say this? And, and so it really was, it was like healing. He was a, he was a pastor, but he also was the most random person ever. Cause he was very, very out there. Um, but that, so that experience changed everything about my writing, how I saw my writing. Um, and he and I worked together through book one and then, um, we kind of parted ways after I started working with someone else to try to make it a bigger thing. Um, but he and I were friends for a long time. He actually passed away right when Ignite uh, was getting in the grounds of publication. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, no, he, he was a beautiful man. I got to like talk to him the week before because I had saw some posts on Facebook about his health starting to, to deteriorate. And so I did message him and I was like, Hey, thank you for everything that you've done in my life. And I've actually made posts um, in my Instagram account about his influence on this work and, and how 
Like I never would have done any of the things that I did without him. Like it was so important to me. And one of his children has since seen like one of my YouTube clips and commented on it and was so moved to know that their dad had like done these things. And so that I'm like, Oh, if nothing else, like <laughs> I got to have that little moment. Oh my gosh. That is awesome. That is so much fun. The amount of things that just fell into place for you on this. That is very cool. It is also time to take a break, which we're going to do, and we will be right back with Drinking With Authors. Our sponsor today on Drinking With Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brothers Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get stuck. Okay, we're back. So, okay. Um, what made you decide to be a dentist? <laughs> you seem like such a creative person and that nothing, my dentist is amazing. Dentists are amazing. We all need them just as a public service reminder to everybody out there who waits until their teeth are falling out to go see a dentist. You should do it more often, but you seem like a very creative type and you became a dentist. Yes. (laughs) So you're like, I'm going to just find the most boring job I can. And that's what I'm going to go do. I know. Right. um, My stepdad was a dentist. And I revered him. He was someone who just, in my mind, had it all together. Like he had the perfect life. He made enough money to live comfortably, but he wasn't extravagant. He worked four days a week. He traveled and like he had stability. So I thought that was super freaking cool. And I... All of my friends were creative. I went to like basically a liberal arts school. I spent all of my formative years hanging out at a super dive bar in Fargo, North Dakota. That is like the, the Mecca of art for the nineties. Like we had this moment and we owned it and we loved it. Um, and ironically, I still never felt like I was a good enough artist. Like those were the real artists and they had money and they could afford to be artists. And they had like support and they, they were good. They could be artists. Right. Um, and for me, that wasn't my, that wasn't in my cards. Like I came from poverty. My mom did marry a dentist when I was like 17 years old. So I wasn't like born into it, you know? And I always wanted to, before I ever let myself be frivolous, I wanted to be secure and stable. And so I was like, I will become a dentist 
because I know I can make a very balanced living doing that, (laughs) which is really sad. But that was like, that was the mindset I had around it back then. No, totally. And what what about now? Now that you've broken out of this, this shell, apparently you were in, where does that put you now? Um, so I owned a practice in Fargo, North Dakota for like three or four years. I practiced there for a total of eight before I moved to San Diego. Um, once I came here, I definitely changed it up because when I was working at that point, like I, I, everything was dental, my whole life was dental. And, um, I work like two days a week right now. I work minimally. It's, it's a balanced career. And my goal is to actually create, um, a dental practice that is my own entity that, I can have both, both sides of me there existing, you know, my creative and my dental in San Diego. That is one place where I think someone like me could pull it off. Um, because if most other places you, you have to be this constantly upstanding professional. And I'm like, I love to just project out there. Hey, we're all flawed. Like we have flaws. We are crazy. There's a little bit of everything going on. And, and some people don't want that from their dentist, which I get. But in San Diego, more people are willing to let their dentists be like creative. Cool. Yeah. Fargo, <laughs> North Dakota. Wow. Like, yeah. yeah. When you said Fargo, I thought you were maybe talking about Minnesota because um, anyway, similar, similar. No, it's similar. Okay. It's the so, same. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. So- my, my family is from there and I saw the movie Fargo and people were laughing at the accent and I'm like, yeah, those are my relatives. I go home. I was so defensive of it at first. And I actually refused to watch the movie for a long time. Cause I was like, they're making fun of our culture and they are not getting it right. And, um, so one, I, I, I was like, I didn't want to watch it. And then I finally watched it maybe two years ago. And I have to say that Frances McDermott crushed it. She was the most like believable, lovable woman. And she made Midwestern women she may be proud to be a Midwestern woman. And like, after all of the stuff that she was going through and all of the insanity that was happening around her, her and her husband, she sits down with him at the very end scene and says, you know, we don't thought it that bad. And I was like, damn, that was so awesome. I loved it. I totally was so proud to be a Fargoan at that moment. Yeah. I, I told people, I said, no, that's, 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 that's Minnesota. That's definitely, I hate to say it's, it's, it's absolutely Minnesota, but um, so what about after, so you've got book three, when do you intend to have book three done? I hope to have book three out by next year as well. So my goal is to have this like an every year thing. I will be about a month off of that goal. I was going to try for March, you know, of this year so that it was every year my book came out on March 1 last year which is also the first day of of women's history month and I was like this is a woman's celebration so I loved all of the things aligning there Uh, it's been a rough couple months I did not get everything done that I needed to get done I I'm just gonna admit like December what the hell (laughs) there were things that happened in December that I didn't know what was going on so I'm finally coming back to getting everything organized again Um, I'm hoping that book three we'll fall back then into that one year mark. Very cool. Then what are you going to do after that? Oh man, I 
have so many things that I want to do. Um, that's actually one of the reasons why I'm so excited to wrap this up. I want to write one of those stories for children that kind of reminds me of that. Um, oh, I'm going to totally blank on it right now. They just made it into a movie, but it, they didn't do the greatest job making it into a movie. It's uh, for the big red dog. I know no, everybody rampaged no. about that one. Oh my god! I love that show, Erica. Don't you laugh at me? No, I love that that's what came out of your mouth. It's it's not that I, Clifford got it. Comic strip Clifford was a thing for me, but I just think it's funny that she's like one of these books, and you can tell she's going down to totally like the touches and the children remember, and you're like Clifford the Big Red Dog. I love that show. It was okay to be different with Clifford. It was a very good show. Yes, Anyways. Yes. No, there's so much wisdom in Clifford. I have not seen it. My kids are, are, are much older. So like my days of watching that kind of thing have, have passed. But I, I'll see but if I can get my youngest watch to watch that it. kind of thing without kids. As yeah. we do. That's what happens. My husband would not have that if it's not like a war movie or something very, very adult. <laughs> I got to watch it all alone, alone, alone. <laughs> Nothing but like a bottle it. of wine, some brownies in the Clifford movie. And Clifford and the Clifford I'm movie. Oh, this is happening. But Madeline Langle. That is so what is her book? Um uh, I don't know. Search I'm thinking Search about it. it. Minka's what I'm doing. Oh man. But Minka's it's, it's just one of those perfect books, right? Like coming of age, child, life, dark. A wrinkle in time? There was a, a terrible movie. It was an awful movie. Thank you. So I didn't bad. want to say that. I didn't want, it was so, so bad. bad. And because that, that book to me is like one of those perfect books. Like she just wrote a very happy, moving, it hit all of those notes that I wanted a book to hit. And if I could like set out to just write one of those very universally appealing, good, evil life lessons making people feel comfortable in their own skin like just a story that has that that's gonna be my next goal very cool well that that's that's a good goal to have wrinkle in time <laughs> that's very cool okay chelsea i haven't let you ask a question i realized i've you know well one of the things that you didn't ask this time is are you still self-published or are you did you go to a traditional publisher so I am still self-published insofar as like I have an independent author that's putting me out, but I am self-financed and I do, I mean, they just make the book and put the, you know, put the stuff on it and like, there's not so much that's going, I mean, I write my synopsis. I do all of my own marketing. I, I pay for everything. <laughs> it's, and it's like one day I would love to have a real publisher. And then at the same time, I love the fact that I have no one over me telling me how to write. Um, you know, there is no one saying this is cliche. Don't, don't touch that topic and you, you shouldn't write this and you should move here. I, I, I work with the people that I love to work with. I have a writing sort of partner. She's my collaborative genius friend who I also met on Instagram and she lives in so uh, Cape town, South Africa. And oh, wow. we, Cape town is beautiful. Oh my God. I've never, have you what been? Oh Yeah. Yeah, I'm going again later this year in like August too. I yeah, Ooh. I conveniently get to go there for work. 
But yes, it is one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. I have to say for all the places I've been, it's just gorgeous down there. And there's penguins on the beach, which no I got way. super excited about. Yeah. And are you allowed to take said penguins? No, I, I <laughs> actually was strictly told, A, not to touch the penguins. And two, I was not allowed Why? to take them on the plane. But they did buy Aww. me a stuffed penguin. That's what I carried around like a giant stuffed animal. Like, yeah, they bought me a stuffed stuff. one because they're like, these are protected species. <laughs> and I'm like, fine, earth, whatever in the way. I'll protect it. I will be very protective. Yeah, no, but they would There's enough penguins in the world. Like, I could just have this one. It's fine. Got this. I, I tried. Well, apparently also, like, there's a ton of great whites at the bottom of Cape Town, too. So that's oh. another thing you can do is go in cages to be molested by sharks. I don't understand why people do that. You? I, I'm giving, like, hard pass there. We're, we're good. Yeah. But they have a ton of wineries. So you can do wine tours through Cape Town. It's, it's, it's an amazing, I'll, yeah, there, there's so much to say, but it's really beautiful down there. Anyway, so you met a writing partner in Cape Town. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, I met her on Instagram. She's a writing coach. And um, so all of the, the recent rounds of edits have been with her uh, back when quarantine hit, you know, my, my job shut down completely. So I was at home and I was losing my mind. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I had probably two years before that, I'd wrapped up everything with this book. I, I needed to take a break. So I kind of like, I self-published for a second to see you know what. I submitted for a couple book contests and I was like, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it be. I'm just going to publish it and let it sit in my little self-published world and be done. And then one of the book contests I submitted to wrote back and said this work has amazing potential I really hope this author goes back and like just does one more round of edits on this is really just like one more round of edits is all it needs and it'll have this like great and so when I got that I was like oh okay so I took it off I unpublished it I, I can I like put it away and and then I just went about my life for two years completely ignoring it and then in um uh when quarantine happened I was like okay goal for this year is to pick this back up and fix everything that needs to be fixed. And I just messaged her and I said, Hey, you want to get involved in this? And we honestly started working together and quarantine. Like, yeah, it was just, it was all going. And so we would just have drinks, talk about the craziness of the world and talk about my book. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Okay. So um, you, you've got these three, what if, and you self-published, how was, when you first self-published, you just do like Kindle or did you actually, oh, you just did Kindle. I did Kindle. I did Amazon Kindle. I created a little publishing company. I like got my own ISBN. I designed my own cover. I had, you know, <laughs> Adobe and I'm making, you know, trying to, I just, I did it all. Um, but I, I've had that experience at least. I, I fully tried that. Um. And that was a why when I finally had, you know, an independent publishing company. I, I found them through Submittable because I had submitted my, my manuscript all over the place through Submittable. And I, they messaged me in, and they made it sound like I had been chosen, right? Like your manuscript was good enough for you to pay us a lot of money to publish it. Like still at the end of the day now, unless you have an agent and a, a publisher, you're just... 
It's a very expensive <laughs> hobby. Not necessarily. I will tell you, not necessarily as, as a publisher as well. I think, you know, those are generally called vanity presses where you pay a lot of money for them to publish your books. And I, you know, it depends on how much time you have, how much investment you want to make in doing it. Self-publishing yeah. can be very lucrative, but what you have to do is you have to find, you found editors and stuff. You have to find the cover artists that you like. You have to find the typesetters you like, but those are the things that once you make those sort of bridge those, that it's worth it to then have your own thing versus vanity press. So when you do, book <sighs> two, maybe, maybe just just reach out to me. I'll send you some things only because I feel like vanity presses a lot of times take severe advantage of authors because you kind of throw your hands up and you're like, I don't know what to do, or I, this is really difficult. And it it's, if you want your work out there, there, first of all, there are a ton of small presses that you have to look and reach out to and form communications and stuff like that. And uh, you'll, you'll find somebody who wants to take a chance on you and there's marketing people too. So all the money you spend yeah. for vanity press, there are people that will do marketing and I can send you some of those too, that will help you with that in anyway, but um, <laughs> book two, not put it through a vanity press. That's all I'm going to say. Do not do that because there's, if I recommend vanity presses, if you're publishing a book, that you just want to get out there in the world and don't want to touch anything else. And you're like, whatever, I want it out there. I'll throw money at this person. Or a lot of times we, people will write biographies or, you know, memoirs to somebody. And the best place to, to do it is through a vanity press, because you don't want to mess with all that. You're kind of more doing it for your family or friends, or just to say you did good. Don't invest the effort, but you're, you're in this for the long haul. So you need to go a different route. If you're going to do this, especially if you created a publishing house yourself, you know, that's, <laughs> you. that's, you started doing all the right things and then like went left and like, we need to get you back on the road and off of that weird, you know, spooky road with haunted houses. Since you're not a horror writer, that's a terrible oh. way for you to be. It's, you know, it's one of those things where there, there's only one of me. And yeah, I, I doesn't, doesn't that suck? You have those days and you're just like, I just need one, like just one more, or even like half of me. Like, yes. Oh my God. That is specifically set those. to do these objects. Yeah. 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 I could use I like hoping. 12 of me. If I could multiply myself by 12, I'd be in such a good place. Such a good place. But I've seen the movie Do Duplicity. Don't do that. It's terrible plan. It ends up very big. It's one of my favorite movies, though, with Michael. <laughs> that is good stuff. I, yeah. Always so, a good concept. Let's talk about actual writing. So you were writing in all kinds of places to get this done. Is there like yes. a preferred place you write? Oh, man. So I still think my favorite thing is to go to like a, a brewery. To be honest, I, I, I would say like when I was in college, it was coffee houses and I would just put my headphones in. I would listen to music. I would have a drink and I could sit for hours. And like, even though I'm surrounded by all of this activity, that is my space where I can tune everything out and just go into it because I will mentally have all of the conversations. And I just I'm like in the zone for about three hours. I could I could work like that. Those are always my favorite places. Like 
when I was in Fargo, half of this book was written at a brewery called Junkyard. I, I had a permanent table there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's like my, my favorite place to create. So COVID had to have made that lots of fun. Oh gosh. COVID was, it was all at my table. And that was so awkward because I, my husband and I lived in a one bedroom, one bath condo in Mira Mesa. So San Diego, I don't know if you guys live in a place like this, but we, it's very, very, very high cost of living. So we had to live in the cheapest place possible. And it was so tiny. And I had like, we had four bikes cause we're, we're cyclists. We had two time trial bikes and two like road bikes hanging on the walls. And we, we were like on top of each other and I'm trying to write all of this crazy stuff and have conversations with my, my writing lady. And, you know, I, I'm talking about crazy stuff. I'm writing sex scenes. We're talking about like wild life experiences. And yet I don't want my husband to hear because, you know, he, he <laughs> as much as he loves me and he loves me being a creative, he still does not love hearing me talk about that stuff. So I'm like, you go like way over there and I'm just going <laughs> Yeah, COVID made for some interesting conditions. That is humorous and could be taken a whole different way. So <laughs> I I appreciate uh-huh. that thoroughly. Um, no, I live used to live in California. I grew up in Hollywood. I've been to San Diego. The prices and places are insane. So yes, yeah, no, absolutely. You end up. But I think it was interesting because I think for a lot of people, you know, you would think that getting shut in a house would make it easy. Now you switch to wine. Now we're going from beer to wine. I'm assuming the husband is supplying the wine. He sure is. He's like coming in and out. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you need more alcohol. Here we go. (laughs) We have one happy hour. It's like one hour and you get everything. So, Oh, wow. So he went down. Comes back up, goes down, comes back up. I like that it. Is, that so is very like, supportive. That is a very supportive person. He set up these lights for me. He did. He, he was like checking it all. I, I was like, you must love me. <laughs> did he read your book? No. No. Are you not allowing him to read your book? He does not want to read my book. He should not read my book. It's okay. So let's be honest here. My character is married in this book and um, in order to figure out lots of things about her life, she negotiates an open marriage with her husband and kind of explores her own sexuality and her own all of like, she didn't live her twenties. She was a mom in her twenties and she's finally being like, I don't, I didn't get twenties. I didn't get to do any of those things I married and, and I didn't do all of that. So she, she goes out to do that and in sort of a crazy wild fashion and, and, and figure out like there's lots of deep conversations with her husband about how that can happen and what, what life looks like um, before marriage. And once you finally like accept that some things in your life need to change and um, how you can give each other grace, empathy, and space to do that um, and how you can love each other as people and, and how the people around you can, not see it so you have to like hide and um it's it's a very complex relationship book and I met him after I wrote this so he you know he doesn't give him any weird that ideas way. yeah yeah he he's not that's not his he he's from Texas so Texas like I don't know if you guys are from Texas or know people from Texas 
but that's not a, a not know. a good what Texas mindset. Oh, uh, I thought everything was bigger there. Right? <laughs> right? It is. Everything um, is bigger <laughs> there. <laughs> that, oh my God, Chelsea, I love that that took you a moment. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Chelsea, yeah. you got to get asked the next question, mainly because you're blushing and it was her. Really? Why is that? I, have, I don't know. Why why I do. It's so weird. Like, I blush still. I'm just, anyways, uh, so what is your writing process? Like, I know you said you go to breweries and things like that, but like, what is your actual writing process when you sit down? When I sit down, so usually I like to have some idea of what it is I'm going to write before I sit down to write. And um, so I'll be thinking for a good couple hours before I sit down, having a like dialogue in my head, creating the scene, thinking about who the characters are, going through what they're going to say. So at least by the time I sit down, my head has had like played it out in my mind. And then when I said, I try to start to finish, create that specific scene. Um, and so a lot of times then I, it's basically like writing a chapter or almost like writing an essay. I definitely have chunks in which I write and I, I try to go, you know, like complete it all. So that's my, my writing process. Um, of course you have different hats. Like when you sit down to write those scenes versus when you sit down to edit, I have been in editorial mode for so long that now it's like, I feel as though a lot of my writing is homework, right? Like somebody says, I want to know more about this scene. I need you to flush this out. So then I actually have to just recreate what I've already known and sit down with the specific intent of fixing that or, or answering that one question that was just asked of me. You know, um, this character needs to tell me more. I want to hear a little bit more about that from the body language and this kind of thing. So give me that. So that's, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot more of giving that specific question and answering like directly um, that, but so you, there's two different ways, right? Like there's your editorial. Do you write in order like from start to finish? I do. I am a start to finish kind of girl. I do not, I give bad <laughs> respect. Like um, uh, let's see fight club. I love how like, he talks about, I think in the end of the book, you know, the little write-up about this is how this book was created. I think he started in chapter six and all he did was write this like one little chunk. And he's like, it was a writing, you know, project I threw down to myself. Like, can I do this? Can I just write this little story? And, and he just took a little chunk, wrote something. And then from there built the story front and back around it. I have to have, I have to, I write in sequence. I just do because this is the way I think. Do you use music or anything or do you just do oh, silence? Music, all to music. Um, th so this book series is called The Terrible Love Memoirs. And I'm obsessed. I, I specifically was obsessed with The National at that time in my life. Have you guys heard the song Terrible Love by The National? Oh, yeah. Okay. Listen. I'll look it, it up. I'm going to write it down. Yes. It is one of those soul songs that will like steal your soul. Like when you hear it, it just the reverb in the, the last moments of it, it's just like building and getting more complex and the layering and you're just, you're completely lost and mesmerized. Um, I listened to the national almost exclusively 
But then I started listening to Frightened Rabbit. I was listening to Birdie. Actually, um, Taylor Swift, once she started working with Aaron Dresner and released her last two albums, I've been listening to a lot of Taylor Swift, those albums lately. Music is my everything. And if I don't have it, I couldn't even write. Like, <laughs> they go hand in hand. Do you do um, the song lists with your... Um... Do you do song lists with your um, writing? Like, do you post your song lists? I've never posted it. I did mean for my book to actually have songs that went with the chapters and such because they do, they are so intertwined. I Do you know Grace Salmon, the author of The Eve? Yeah. So she did that. And I was like, yes, she has a whole playlist that goes with her book. And I, I need to do that because that is so freaking cool. Oh yeah, no, she's amazing. She is. She absolutely- people would freak out if I tried to do that. Really? My the, so the songs the that I listen to when I write have nothing to do with what I'm writing, hmm. but they inspired what I write. But they have nothing to do with it. Really? It's really confusing, but I promise it works. <laughs> like, it doesn't <laughs> even do. make sense. But my like, I'll listen to a song and I'll be like, "Dude, this is a great idea," and it'll just be like a phrase that they say most of the time it's like some random thing that has nothing to do even with the, the overall song. And I use that. So if I did a playlist based off of it, you'd be like, dude, this girl is like, she's on drugs or something. This doesn't even make sense. Oh, I don't know that anybody would say you were on drugs until they read your stuff, you know? Exactly. And if you're not on drugs, how are you creating? (laughs) (laughs) You need like at least an alcoholic a little bit. It gives you helps that's true i guess alcohol is a drug yep all right exactly i like it (laughs) all perspective all perspective my friends Mm -hmm. um very cool okay well we are actually at the end of the podcast i cannot believe that you're at the end of this podcast okay what advice would you give uh, um writers out there oh man i would say never give up ever, ever, ever give up. If you want to write and you know in your heart that you are a writer, then you are walking into a world of adversity. That is your path. And just know that that's what's coming up against you. And the only way you're ever going to make it is just deflect the blows, keep on going, keep your head up and develop some freaking tough skin and have a drink. (laughs) I love all of that. Skunk Brothers Alcohol. How do people find your work? How do people find your book, Ignite? Uh, it is on Amazon. Um, you can still get, you can either get the paperback on Amazon, you can get it on Kindle. Uh, it's also on IndieBound and it is on uh, Barnes & Noble. I have a website. Everything that I do is under Marie's World of Writing. Uh, I have Marie's World of White Writing on Instagram. I've got a Facebook page. I have a website. Um, I do my own little like author interviews too. And I, um, I just try to try to be a part of this community as much as I can. That is awesome. And I think you are achieving it, my friend. Okay. So this has been drinking with authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance, and I finished all of my blueberry cinnamon cordial from Skunk Brothers Spirits, DWA 10 for your 10% off who's our sponsor. My co-host has been C.R. Rice, who is amazing. And our guest has been Marie Wishart. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.